welcome into episode two of the Kentucky Realtors Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, they didn't take me off the air, so that's a good thing. Um, I'm not, joined, not yet, at least. Not yet. I'm joined by Steve Stevens, uh, CEO of KYR, and Government Affairs Director Richard Wilson for this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few newsworthy items, uh, both within the state of Kentucky and uh, things that are coming out of NAR uh, on the heels of the numerous meetings and busyness that went on in San Francisco. So a lot to share there. And later on in the podcast, we're going to hear from uh, Drew Myers, who is our political representative from NAR. And he was joined uh, by Helen Devlin. Uh, She's the federal legislative affairs uh, representative there at NAR. And uh, they're going to talk about what advocacy looks like at the federal level, some strategic goals they have, a push for the reauthorization of the National Flood Insurance Program, and a host of other things. It was a really great discussion, so look forward to that. Yeah, Paul, I'm excited to to hear that interview. I'm, I'm glad we got to um, to inter- I'm glad you got to interview them while in while in uh, San Francisco. I'm I kind of kicking myself that I wasn't able to attend that interview, but I'm very looking forward, very much looking forward to that interview uh, with Drew and Helen. So good job on that. Well, thanks. Yeah, and I, you know you had good reason not to be in San Francisco. You were kind of <laughs> at home with a new baby and yeah, and getting yeah. used to a new dynamic. So the congratulations trying to, there. Trying to catch up on my sleep now. So yeah, indeed, indeed. So yeah, so let's talk about what came out of NAR, um, Steve. Uh, course you were there longer than most uh, of us so tell us how was the conference yeah those things are awesome Paul and uh, you were there for a good piece of it and uh, I always say um, most of the National Association uh, meetings are, are tremendous they seem to be about one day too long unfortunately <laughs> because uh, you're exhausted by the time you're finished but yeah there was a lot of things to, uh, to do and to be part of there you know one of the main objectives that NAR has is in bringing together um, nearly 20,000 realtors to their conventions is an opportunity to share information. Right. They share and then the members share back, but the members are also uh, put to work quite a lot because we they, we know that there's a vast committee system that NAR employs to get a lot of work done across the entire industry spectrum, you know, from things that affect uh, local realtors at home through the MLS, um, all the way up to the federal advocacy that's done. And then, of course, the operation of the mm-hmm. largest trade association in the world. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a variety of things there, plus the education sessions that take place. Um, the committees met uh, quite a lot, and uh, there are uh, several Kentucky realtors that serve on NAR national committees. We're well represented. Uh, we also got committee assignments sent to us just recently for mm-hmm. the applications that were sent uh, in. And uh, again, we have a lot of realtors that will be serving on very important committees. Um, I myself will be serving on a committee, and I am also serving on a presidential advisory group that's looking at governance changes for the National Association. Um, which basically has been operating with the same governance system and structure for 100 years. Right. So, um, you know, we want to be nimble. We want to be able to react to the industry and the changes that are uh, going on. So we probably are not very nimble, and we are not um, 
as well put together as we should. So we've uh, been looking at that. So that group that I'm a part of did a little bit of an exercise with the entire board of directors uh, at their meeting to really continue to take in information as we keep working on what it might look like to, um, to put together a... Uh, a, pro a new structure proposal, yeah. processes, etc. The board took action on a lot of things, uh, on a few things, I guess, not a ton of things, but um, code of ethics was one of those things that was uh, was up, and uh, they will, um, well, we'll just talk about that in a minute, but mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, um, you know, we had uh, good representation from our members. Um, about 50 folks came from Kentucky that were there uh, participating in a lot of things, and uh, we, uh, we, we know we, we gained a lot of information um, advocacy-wise as well as, uh, you know, for the industry and education-wise that we brought back home. Good deal. Very nice. Um, and you, speaking of committees, just wanted to throw that out there that uh, we are still taking applications for committee assignments at the state level. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast and it is prior to November 18th of 2019, we are accepting applications. We encourage you to get involved. Uh, on that level, the the association can't run without committed volunteers like you, listeners. So please uh, take the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, if even if you have any questions, if you have any questions at all about serving on a committee or just have a que any questions in general uh, about our committee structure, feel free to call our office uh, here at KYR, and and we'll be glad to walk you through it and talk you talk you through the process of. Uh, applying to be on a committee of, because of course we would love to have um, our, I mean our association is built on volunteers and and we love to have um, as many uh, people sign up for committees as possible so if you're interested please contact us and we'll be glad to, to talk you through it good deal yeah thanks Richard all right, Steve, what, what else you got there? From well, I guess I started to mention that uh, the Code of Ethics changes were um, mm -hmm. on the um, docket for the board to act upon, and that is something that's required if you want to call yourself a realtor. You have to have Code of Ethics training. One of the changes that realtors may be happy to hear is the fact that, um, you know, the, uh, the, the requirement has been that you must have Code of Ethics training every two years. Mm -hmm. That is being changed to every three years. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, going to be probably welcome news. But, you know, it will be uh, still just as important. And this is not a signal that NAR thinks any that these uh, that the code of ethics is a, any less important than it has been it's still very important but the um, the learning objectives of the existing member code of ethics training uh, is going to be revised to include content on professional conduct mm -hmm. uh, the courtesies business etiquette real life types of situations to consider um, the code will also look at uh, equivalency options that members can take to satisfy their training requirements that are, you know, will also include the new commitment to excellence program that's an endorsement uh, that uh, realtors can get based on a whole set of things that they basically show that they have proficiency in. Um, I myself will be um, serving on, as the AE liaison to that committee for NAR uh, for the country this year, which is a, a big privilege, I feel, and uh, I'm going to be a lot more familiar. I can tell you with <laughs> with the, the with the uh, C2X program by the end of this year, and I hope we can share a lot more information with realtors because that will be important. And that um, and, you know the courses that are provided by a local, state, and national realtor association uh, that satisfy the code of ethics training requirement. Those only those co courses. 
that are provided by those groups are really going to be um, counted uh, towards the code. But uh, really good changes there. There was a little bit of MLS policy that was, uh, was on the docket there, too, um, that uh, we have published um, and uh, put out on our website or through our newsletter mm -hmm. to our entire membership that I think um, members will be interested in looking at. So they probably uh, should should take note. That's uh, clear cooperation. Is that clear that cooperation is? guidelines. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Um, and I know there was a lot of other actions. I think they approved some funding for some legal actions and things like that. Of course, uh, we're going to be putting out some more uh, kind of summaries of those things. And of course, you know, the NAR website is going to be full of that information. Um, these things don't necessarily affect day-to-day -day business uh, for realtors, but it's it's important uh, national level uh, news that you want to be familiar with. So. Absolutely. Um, I know we do have some news uh, from the Kentucky front. Uh, Richard, uh, you just attended an important meeting and have some information on KREC regulations. <clears throat> that's right. That's right. So <clears throat> uh, we attended the, uh, the uh, Joint Administrative Regulation Review Subcommittee. Uh, on November 12th, uh, the new uh, newly proposed KRAC regulations uh, were heard in that committee and passed out of that committee uh, that, that morning. Um, as far as, as next steps and, and looking ahead for the regs, you know, kind of what's next for the regs, yeah. what, what's the next step in the process? Uh, well, well, so step number two, the regs will be sent to the um, uh, Joint Licensing Occupations and Administrative Regulations Committee. As you know, as you may know, uh, the two chairmen for that committee are uh, Senator John Schickel and Representative Adam Koenig. Representative Adam Koenig is a realtor and he's a, both of them are, are, are big, big friends of uh, the real estate industry here in Kentucky. Um, Senator Schickel comes from, from Boone County and then uh, Representative Adam Koenig comes from um, Boone County and Kenton County. So, uh, you Northern Kentucky folks, say thank you to both of those both of those gentlemen when next time you see them. But two scenarios I want to walk you through uh, for the regs um, with the passage of, of the regs out of the Joint Administrative Regulation Review Subcommittee. The Joint Licensing Occupations and Administrative Regulations Committee has 90 days. Uh, to put the regulations on their agenda. So two scenarios I want to walk you through. Uh, scenario number one, if the uh, LNO committee does not put the regs on their agenda within those 90 days, the regs go into effect on day 91. That effective date would be March 3rd, 2020. Scenario number two, if the LNO committee decides to put the regs, say, on on December's agenda, and they pass, they pass the regs out of that committee that day. The regs will go into effect the day after that committee meeting. Okay. So there's two very different scenarios um, that I just walked you through. Mm -hmm. It's all up to whether or not the Licensing Occupations and Administrative Regulations Committee even puts the regs on their agenda. <clears throat> Um, of course, we'll be following this very, very closely, and we'll be sending updates to our membership if or when uh, the regs get put on uh, the committee agenda. So that's because it's 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 a it's either it could happen next month, as in December, or it could happen in March of 2020. Uh, so uh, we'll keep you updated on those um, on the on the regs. Also, one other thing. Um, 
the advertising regulation is, is one of the very few regs uh, that has an has a delayed effective date. Right. Um, as you know, as you as you may know, the I mean, the advertising regs, um, the delayed effective date for that is six months from the effective date of the regulation. So, <clears throat> if say um, say the regs pass in January, you have until. Um, yeah, July. July, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you have until July for the... for the uh, To comply, is that what it is? Well, there's kind of like a six-month grace period, right. if, you, if you will. Um, but after that six months, the KREC will start cracking down they, on... They can on, do uh, enforcement at that Thank point. you, yes. And that's basically to make it easier for the Realtor um, to really um, try to go... Um, go out and, and make the changes to his or her signs and to really try to relieve a little bit of the burden. You know, we know it's going to cost some money to make the changes, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, when regs are changed or added, you know, that's a bit of a burden on people. The good news is, you know, what we've been working on with uh, the KREC for so long is to try to reduce the amount of regulations mm-hmm. and make right. it less burdensome. So we actually have gone from 38 regs or so down to, <coughs> excuse me, a handful, like seven or eight. Yep. So that's a big, big benefit uh, for clarity purposes and for understanding and guidance. It's much easier to, to see and know what you have to do to comply. But there are certain things that you still have to do, and that's part of being in business industry and those things cost uh, some dollars to do uh, so we definitely want to make sure we we don't uh, shortchange that mm-hmm. but it will it will allow realtors to have a little bit more uh, cushion to be able to, to comply yeah yeah thanks Steve yeah uh, that's exactly right uh, one other thing I, I wanted to, to mention during the my state update here uh, I know I've gotten quite a bit of uh, inquiries and, and emails and phone calls about the uh, KREC commissioners and uh, the appointments um, that Governor Bevin uh, could make uh, before his term ends in December. Um, as you all know, we, we submitted names uh, back in this earlier this summer uh, to the governor uh, for uh, the, the open seats and um, for Lois Ann Dispinette's uh, first term expiring in November. Uh, so it's still really up in the governor's uh, up to the governor of when he wants to make these appointments. Um, so we are still in in kind of wait and see mood, wait and see mode with uh, the the commissioner appointment. So um, I'll be I'll be glad to answer any questions that you have uh, if you want to call me or email me on the commissioner uh, openings. Uh, but as of right now, we're we're still in wait and see mode with the governor. Now, is there a possibility that he doesn't make an appointment and his term ends and those seats remain open? Sure. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's And then that's up to the next governor to yeah. fill that. Okay. Yeah, that, that absolutely could happen. Um, I would I would be surprised if uh, Governor Bashir uh, did not request new names. Sure. Um, just so he kind of goes so through the process. process, he yeah. kind of goes through the process himself. Yeah, so. there's really probably no way to speculate whether or not uh, this governor that's currently sitting will uh, exercise the ability that he has to appoint or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, of course, then the governor-elect will be able to do that. But yeah. um, it would be typical of a 
sitting governor before they get out of office to check as many boxes as they possibly can as they exit. Sure. So we would anticipate the possibility of um, of that being pretty likely that they will make those appointments. But we don't know. Um, anything can happen. So yeah. well, I, just, I would say to everyone, just stay tuned and we'll let you know. That's right. That's okay. right. Well, uh, anything else as, as we wrap up here and before we head out to San Francisco to hear from Drew and Helen? Uh, no, I think the hot, the market's still hot. We won't uh, go through a big, long uh, statistical report or anything today, but we are getting good signals that the economy is going to hold up, and we're still um, seeing our performance in Kentucky exceed that of the national level, which I think is amazing. And I know, yeah. Paul, you've just given an update in one of your recent podcasts, but uh, the indication from the federal level from our national economists support what's going on here and the future so i'm an optimist i like to stay optimistic and i like to provide optimism to as many people as i can when i hear something that's worth telling so that's the only reason i pass this on today that's great and and for me um as you know session is right around the corner um we're gearing up for it i guess we we never start we never stop gearing up for, for session uh, and planning for the for the next session. So, uh, in in future episodes, uh, I'm sure we will have um, quite a bit to talk about uh, in regards to uh, legislation and and the uh, 2020 legislative session. I'm I'm hoping to get uh, our our lobbyist Amy Wickliffe on on the podcast here pretty soon to talk about uh, the 2020 session and and kind of what we are looking ahead to. So, yeah, we're, we're ready for session. Sounds good. Well, gentlemen, thanks. I appreciate you joining us today, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Our pleasure. Thank you. And we're coming to you from NAR in San Francisco, and I am joined this afternoon by uh, Drew Myers, uh, who is our political uh, representative uh, at NAR, and uh, Helen Devlin, uh, who is the Director of Federal Legislative Affairs. And these are two busy individuals, so thank you both for taking some time out to join us. Oh, happy to do it. Thank you. Thanks How, for having us, Paul. Absolutely. How is your week going so far here at, at NAR? I think it's been it's been pretty fun. Um, realtors are definitely everywhere here in San Francisco, <laughs> um, but we've had a lot of good meetings. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Magic Johnson tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and Billie Jean King's here somewhere. I'm not sure where, but I think there's going to be some fun fun events as, as well as some good policy dis- discussions while we're here. So. Good deal. Yeah, I know there's a lot of realtors. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, not so many familiar faces. I'm used to going to meetings where I recognize everybody. So. You know, I think the expectation was about 19,000, um, and it looks like we have every bit of that yeah. here in San Francisco. So it's been well, an o- awesome opportunity to, to connect with uh, those folks. And, um, you know, beyond the, the obvious educational opportunities, networking and fellowship, which is important. Yeah, so it's, it's important to be here if you can, if you're a realtor, right? I mean, it's a... Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the place to be. The, the mid-year meetings in May um, are, are an excellent opportunity, um, especially from an advocacy standpoint. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, the annual conference uh, this year in San Francisco. Yeah. Su- sunny San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little, little foggy since, since I've been here, but yep. uh, but yeah, I think the weather's going to pick up. Yeah, I'm learning a lot. I mean, it's it's really neat to see the realtor voice galvanized in, in one place like this. I mean, you know, the the association does a lot of good, and and you can see that in, in policy issues and, and in other things. But to see everyone here physically, all, all mm-hmm. as one, is neat. So this is my first one. So it's fun to watch. So, um, so 
tell us a little bit uh, uh, more about what your role is. I mean, we just talked now about your titles, but but what what does that what does a federal or a, a political rep do? What, what, sure. what, what, what does that look like for you? Well, so there are six of us, right, uh, covering all fifty states, um, and I'm I feel fortunate that uh, I get to cover a territory of seven states: uh, Southeast, Mid Atlantic, up in Pennsylvania, uh, and. It, you know, so it, it's an excellent opportunity for me to uh, really do two things. First, there's the campaign side of what I do, mm-hmm. right? The, the political aspect, which is um, uh, will only get busier as we get into yeah. 2020. Uh, and you know, uh, most of my role from that aspect is working with state association, working with you guys at KYR uh, to consider funding for candidates, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, determine. Uh, who we're supporting, uh, who NAR is supporting at the federal level, and to what extent. Uh, and then there's the other end of that, which is kind of the grassroots communication part, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allows me to get out and visit not just my state associations, but locals throughout all seven states. Uh, and kind of keep you all informed on what we're doing at the federal level, uh, the issues that, are, uh, that we're working on, uh, and at the same time, get feedback. Right, uh, hear right. stories from the members. Uh, what's affecting their lives? What's affecting their uh, their jobs uh, as realtors? And then relay that to our lobbyist um, on the hill and uh, share stories with them uh, that they can then utilize when they're meeting with members of Congress. Uh, because uh, you know, uh, what's the saying? All politics <laughs> is local, right? And right. So, so the members of Congress always want to hear those stories about uh, things that are happening in their district. Right, how it affects their constituents. That's right, right. that's right. Uh, so Helen, talk a little bit about kind of what you do and what does your daily routine look like? So my yeah, my job is, be, like sometimes I joke that really I'm a customer service agent. Right. I'm like the contact, um, our lobbying team, we, we want to be the contact for that congressional office if they need anything realtor related, anything housing related, any questions they have. And so my job is to sort of maintain those relationships and then also work with the lobbying team to strategize about how's the best way, who are the right members to get um, to help us with issues that we need to move forward or who can we help build a coalition with, that kind of thing. And so um, a typical day, typical week when Congress is in session, usually there's a hearing or a Mm -hmm. markup of some point that NAR is involved in. We have lots of different variety of issues that we cover. So, um, you know, the week before we'll be looking at what the focus of that hearing is, figuring out how we can make sure that our our issues are heard. We try to figure out which members of Congress are on those committees that are favorable to us or that would be willing to ask a question so we can get something on the record or be Mm, willing to steer something in a direction that we want so that we can get our message through. Um, and then, so that's that's really what we do. We, we come up with a strategy on that, and then we go out there and we talk to those members, and we try to make sure our questions get asked. And um, there's a fundraiser every week, at least, that we right. uh, attend. Um, thank you for the RPAC uh, to make this possible for us. Um, but it's just in, in keeping those connections, keeping those contacts. And, and like Drew said, telling them the stories back home. One of the, the biggest strengths that we have is the fact that the issues that we talk about are related to what's going on back home. Right. And the first thing every member wants to know is what's the real estate market like back in Louisville or back in Lexington? And then how does the issue you're talking about affect my constituents? Right. So it's a great team effort to try to make sure that those members understand that everything is sort of connected from back home to what we talk about too. So without asking you to choose a favorite, <laughs> uh, is, there, is there one that's really easy to work with? Uh, 
uh, an individual that just you know that members of Congress yeah, wise. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I mean, from the Kentucky delegation, sure. I uh, I would have to say, and it's probably because we have the most contact because of the issue, the committees he's on, but Andy Barr is mm-hmm. on the Financial Services Committee. Okay, he's sure. a ranking member of um, one of the subcommittees there. So a lot of our issues are really in front of him uh, on the House side, and he's right. been, been very helpful uh, to us along the way. Um, I would say, you know, John Yarmouth is a chairman this year, mm-hmm. chairman of the Budget Committee. It is a, a committee that we don't have a lot of issues involved with, but knowing that we've got uh, a Kentucky member who is very pro-realtor, who is part of the leadership team on the Democratic side in the House is always very helpful. So, yeah. And, of course, for a state like Kentucky, it never hurts to have the majority leader in the Senate right. to be your person. Um, and he's someone who, who often jokes about, you know, realtor issues and and uh how the 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 importance of home ownership is like something that people think is in the constitution right and we're fine to have him think that and and work with him so you've got a great kentucky has a great delegation technically for being a smaller state sure very well placed delegation to get a lot of things done and to be important yeah it's actually pretty impressive how you know I, i don't know if powerful is the right word but i guess influential kentucky is in you know in that what you just mentioned and then also of course Leader McConnell's wife uh, being part of the mm-hmm. transportation cabinet, and and you know having worked in infrastructure industry before, you know I just I know how, you know when we go up there, there's always someone from Kentucky that yes. that can, <laughs> the, so that's that, that's that great. Help. That's true. Now you mentioned that bringing policy issues and things like that to to these members of Congress and stuff. So what what are some of those key issues that realtors should be kind of focused and keyed in on here as we proceed into the year? So I, I think that, you know, there are three major issues that we uh, have been talking about, are talking about, and will continue talking about. Uh, NFIP mm-hmm. may be the most timely, uh, and, you know, they're, they're, I think we'll go into detail maybe on some of that would, would be interesting for, for your members to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, GSE reform um, is a long-term, ongoing yes. conversation, sure. uh, you know, since, since Fannie and Freddie were placed in conservatorship in 2008. Uh, so, you know, that, that's something that um, we've become uh, intimately involved in most recently, having released right. uh, our plan for uh, removing uh, the GSEs from conservatorship, yeah. uh, or releasing, I should say, the GSEs from conservatorship, uh, and then the plan moving forward. And, and so we were uh, happy to, to be able to engage in the conversation in that way, and, and uh, Ken Fears, uh, our, our policy uh, expert um, mm-hmm. is doing a lot of great work there, uh, and then infrastructure, which is uh, one of those topics, uh, an issue that we have not traditionally engaged in as realtors, um, but one that we will be much more engaged in. Uh, I think going into 2020, um, and you know, one of the questions I get asked often is, well, the first one is, well, what is Infrastructure, right? right. Well, what, what? If you right. if you line ten people up and you ask each one of them, give me your definition of infrastructure, right. you're likely to get ten different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very broad topic, so honing in on what exactly that means to realtors is important, and I think a process we're working through. Uh, but the second piece of that is, well, why is it important to realtors? Um, well, communities are right. important to realtors, right? And so uh, that is the direct connection, uh, you know. Uh, Access to funding mm-hmm. for infrastructure is important uh, to continue to, to develop communities uh, so that our realtors um, on the commercial side uh, and the residential side 
can continue to have success growing their business uh, and, and selling homes. Yeah. And, and next year, there's also the highway transportation bill has to be reauthorized. So okay. there's, a, there's sort of a built-in deadline that, that Congress will have to be working on. So we'll definitely be engaged in that. Um, the only things I would add would be there's a chance that a tax extenders bill might come together uphill battle, but, but battle. But there's a there's a chance that it might, um, and it have it would include the mortgage debt forgiveness provision, which okay. is um, tax relief for people who have gone through a short sale situation where the bank has forgiven some of their loan, and um, the problem is, in the eyes of the IRS, that they still need to pay taxes on that minute money as if the the bank actually oh, gave okay. you the money versus just forgiving the money. So it's phantom income in our view. It should not be taxed. Um, and we have we have a, a provision that's been in law now for about eight years or so, but it has to be renewed every couple of years. That, so that might be something you see here right at the end of the year. Okay. Um, and then housing affordability is an issue that we are, we're kind of ramping up on a little bit more. It's, it's tough to define on the federal level because it's such a local it means different things in different localities, but we right. are going to do in February. We're going to have a housing affordability conference, okay. and we're going to do some survey work before that with the public as well as with realtors to sort of figure out what are those barriers to home ownership? Have they changed from what we've traditionally thought what people wanted and needed? And and so that'll be interesting to see in February. It'll be a good conference for people to attend. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we were just part of a housing affordability conference in Lexington a little oh, okay. while ago. So learning about all those things that affect the price of a home, whether it's regulation, whether it's, uh, you know, you name it. I mean, and so it's great that you're looking at all those options because inventory isn't There's a lot of them. <laughs> inventory. Yeah, yeah. Inventory isn't getting any better right now until until more homes are built. And, you know, builders don't want to build homes if they're not going to make money building them. And, so that's important. Makes it tough. Uh, Drew, you mentioned NFIP. I know it's set to expire on the 21st. Um, there's a bill making its way through the House right now. Is there anything you can tell us uh, specifically about that? Well, so I'll, I will punt this to Helen for more okay. specifics on, on the bill. But I will just say, uh, you know, this is an issue uh, that NAR uh, and KYR and all yeah. of our state associations and all the way down to our local associations um, have have been talking about and working on for years, yeah. right? Uh, you know, and this is not something that's going away. Um, I think that for the first time in a long time, though we've had, I don't know, 12 or 13 short-term extensions yeah, now in 13. the last two years, I think we're finally getting to a tipping point. Okay. Uh, H.R. 3167, um, I, I think, has gotten us there, uh, right, and, and with its passage out of committee okay. um, back this summer. Uh, and so that was a, I think, a giant leap forward. It really was um, yeah. for for us in this in this game, uh, and um, uh, and you know we'd certainly look for uh, opportunities over the next yeah. few weeks and months and into next year um, to capitalize on Absolutely. whether it's that bill or, or something else um, to get us to the end goal, uh, which is a, a long-term reauthorization of okay. NFIP. Yeah. One thing that's been a challenge, it's always a challenge with flood insurance, is it's it's parochial. It's about people's individual constituents. It's not by par, it's not a partisan issue. It's not so it makes it really that's the challenge of trying to get a, an agreement because right. people use flood insurance differently across the country. It means different things, and and that's kind of where we are right now. We've got uh, this bill passed unanimously out of the Financial Services Committee. It's got some great money for mapping mitigation. It's got and, and, and mitigation. It, um, 
changes some regulations so that the private market will hopefully start to grow and to encourage people to use the um, private insurance as well as, as NFIP. It's got a lot of good things in it, um, but, but there are some members that are concerned about some other changes. FEMA is now looking into doing a complete reorganization of the way rates are mm. developed so that everybody can have a little more, more the technology's changed so much, yeah. you ought to be able to tell house by house what your elevation is and what your what your real risk is. So they're, they're going through this overhaul and it's certainly, it's making some members that are in those coastal states, obviously, you know, New Jersey, New York, um, but Louisiana, Florida, um, they want some more answers on things before the bill can move forward. So we're a little, we're in a holding pattern a little bit until everybody kind of gets together and comes up with an agreement. Our message is just keep talking, figure that out. Any, it's not NAR's issue right now um, because whatever solution they come up with would only improve the bill in our view. So right. we're, we're fine. So we just keep trying to have a drumbeat going of saying keep everybody at the table, keep discussing. And fingers crossed, we'll get something. So we'll see. Okay. Um. Switching back to GSE reform you mentioned, uh, Drew, earlier, um, I know I learned a little bit about GSEs. I didn't know, had never heard that term before I, I started here at KYR, but it's government-sponsored entities. Um, can you go a little bit more into depth of, about what recently happened with Fannie and Freddie, and, and can you go into some detail on that issue? I know I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe talking to um, someone else in your organization about that sure. in a future episode, but can you touch a little bit on that? Uh, so NAR um, released its plan back at, at early this year, early 2019, for GSE reform. Uh, and really the three key takeaways from that plan uh, are that it increases access to affordable mortgage products uh, for creditworthy individuals. It keeps mortgage costs low and preserves the 30-year fixed. Uh, and it keeps the market stable during uh, ultimately a transition out of conservatorship. Uh, so following that up, just uh, I guess a few weeks ago, the Treasury yeah. released their plan. Um, and you know there are aspects of it that I think we're okay with. Mm -hmm. There are aspects of it that I think we want them to continue to work on. Right. <laughs> uh, right? And I know Ken, I think, will go into more detail on that for sure. Uh, yeah. and, and Helen, I, you probably have some insight into. Yeah, I think the main, you know, the, the main thing is it's been 10 years since anyone's been able to get anything really moving on GSEs. Because okay. when the when the crash happened, the federal government completely took them both over. So the whole mortgage process, the secondary market is what it's called, is you know the process of of um, mortgages being bundled and sold as MBS on the you mm -hmm. know on the markets, and then having a guarantee that people are going to get paid through that process. That is now fully owned by the federal government through okay. Fannie and Freddie. There are private groups that do this, but but that so the whole issue has been how do you get them back out to be their own entity again? What Treasury has done is said, okay, right now any profits that the Fan that Fannie and Freddie make go straight into the federal treasury. So what they did is they eased up just a little bit and said, okay, a very, very small percentage of, of your profits now, you can start keeping for yourself to get yourself recapitalized. So it's it's the first real step towards the administration um, moving towards trying to rebuild these back into a private entity or a public-private kind of entity and structure, not something that's just fully on the federal government's book. So that's why it, nothing's happened in 10 years. This was kind of the first baby step. And Ken can get into details mm -hmm. more, but um, we were encouraged by that. Uh, but we were watching this really cautiously because we want to make sure that whatever structure there is, make sure that mortgages are available 
for all people that are qualified borrowers and in all markets that you know the 30-year fixed mortgage product is still something that is available to people so more to come on that it's a complicated issue it is it is complicated and um i think you know we, we always want to educate the public about what's going on too this but then when you the have complex issues like this it's hard yeah. <laughs> especially this one is probably the most the difficult to try to explain to people yeah. who don't understand home selling and buying and the mortgage right. process it's it's a it's a toughie <laughs> right but. so you know we've been talking about all these issues that are here these challenges these opportunities that you have uh, that we have as, as, as realtor association to to kind of make change to protect things Let's talk about some recent wins. Like, mm-hmm. what has happened either this year or in the in the very recent past uh, that we can kind of celebrate? What What are some win column items? So, I think we'd, probably the best win was this condo rule mm-hmm. issue that that folks have heard about. That's something that has been in the works for years, and it really started at an NER meeting. There was a, an AR meeting several, several years ago. There was a member of Congress speaking, and his staff was sitting at a table with some other realtors, and they were talking about just all of these, you know, this, sort of this laundry list of arcane problems of how you get a building certified to offer FHA, of what a hassle it is when someone's trying to buy a condo, um, if the building doesn't meet certain requirements, or yeah. if the homeowners association is, isn't up to par where it needs to be. And the staffer, a light bulb sort of went off in the staffer's head and said, well, we could probably fix some of these things. And, and you know, we were kind of like, well, it's a regulatory thing. And they're like, yeah, but we're Congress. We can tell them what to do. <laughs> so this staffer and our housing policy person got together and just came up with a list of simple changes that just make the whole process of trying to buy a condo using an FHA product simpler for everybody. It took a while, but the bill did pass. The bill passed unanimously on the House floor, H.R. 3700. Um, it passed out of the Senate. And this, again, years, it's probably passed, it, it's been several years when it passed. The next step was then getting the administrations to implement it. And so that is what's finally happened. We've got the regulations. Okay. They are actually now live and as of October 15th. That was something that I think was a huge win. It may not be the type of thing you're hearing about on the nightly news, but sure. it's for, for home buyers, for affordability, condos are the way to go. Why not make this whole process make more sense for everybody? So, yeah. Um, you know, another one that was a big win back when the housing crisis happened, but it was again, it was an NAR issue, was the implementation of a first time home buyer tax credit. That was something that NAR pushed. Congress was looking for something to, what did they do to try to get the market restarted again? It was our idea. We helped craft the language, and it really helped. And it was extended a few times, um, but we we are looking again, actually, in this conference here in San Francisco, we're really looking at some policy changes that might have to do in that world of taxes. What can you do? Um, the tax committee is actually meeting right now, and they're looking at, uh, should NER get more involved in like a 529 or some sort of a savings plan or a robust savings plan for first-time home buyers, savings for down payments. I know some states have looked into that. What we want to do is figure out if our realtors feel like that's something that we as a lobbying team should start pushing on the hill at a federal level. Um, mm-hmm. Another idea is uh, what if you, to help first-time home buyers, uh, maybe some sort of an incentive for a seller if the home that you sell is sold to a first-time home buyer. Maybe a capital gains break, something like that. So, um, good conversations are going on. There might be something that moves to the board of directors. I'm not sure, um, but if uh, if those are the marching orders that this you know that come to us, it's something that we will then definitely start working on the hill. See if we can get past. So. Okay. 
Now, you mentioned uh, relationships earlier. You mentioned, you know, getting in front of people, making sure they know you're a resource, that kind of thing. With Congress being so divided, it seems like every four years we talk about this, that, yeah, you know, it's so yes. polarized and that kind of thing. How does NAR have such a good relationship with D.C. in general uh, and get these things done? What what kind of transcends that? What is there something that... Yeah, we've, we've got two things. One... When we look at issues, we really try to look at the issue and what it means for home ownership, mm-hmm. what it means for the home buyer, what it means for communities. We try not to look at it from a partisan perspective. And I think it's the good thing is our messages resonate. We have good messages when it comes to that mm-hmm. because those are impacting the constituents that each member has. Um, the other thing is there's 1.4 million of us, you right. know, so every time a member of Congress turns around, there's a realtor sometimes <laughs> there or somebody close. I mean, we walk the halls and they may not always know who I am, but they, they're like, that's the realtor girl, you know, and that kind of thing sometimes. But it's the same back home. And they also know that uh, realtors are active members of their community. Mm-hmm. Realtors know they've got, they, they understand what's happening in their community. They understand where the problems are. And so they're a natural resource for members uh, to have. And we, very few other organizations have that. We're the only one who actually, I think, takes it to the level that we do, where members are com- constantly know that if they talk to somebody back home and they talk to me, they're gonna hear the same thing. So it's, right. a, it's a great, great organization that we have. Right. So having a unified voice like that, very important. Yes. Well, and it, just to build on that, you know, I think it, it, it's important to recognize that we may be the only game in town that has um, a member assigned to each member of Congress, right? right. Back home in their districts, yes. that our, our FPC program, yeah. um, which is, I think, a phenomenal opportunity um, that, that we do well Many uh, groups to, wish to they communicate had that. <laughs> to communicate with the members of Congress. Yeah. And, um, it's all it works. It's all it's built a, on relationships. Yeah. yeah, it's key. It's a, it's just key to the whole thing because they know these members have someone they can say, you know, the Nationals guys were just in here and they're saying this. Is that really true? And they're going to hear a yes. And that's yeah. a good thing. So, well, we've I know we've got some great hardworking FPCs uh, in our group, and you know I, I see them in action, and <laughs> so that that's great. And and we appreciate having folks like you at the National Association who work hard. I know maybe the, the kind of the membership may not see that. Um, every day, uh, as I do, as we do, and Richard Wilson, our government affairs director, does, but we, um, but we know they see the effects of it. Policy wins, and, and those relationships remain strong, and, and when we talk, they listen, right. uh, so yeah. they, they see that. So anything else you want to touch on uh, before we kind of wrap it up? I know we've been talking a while, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is great stuff. Just thanks for everybody's participation. I mean, it's, you know, you've, Kentucky's always, like I said, you've got a, a, an incredible delegation that's very well placed uh, to be helpful to NER, and they are. And the reason that they are is because they, they trust you all at the state level, and they, they know how hardworking you guys are, and so it's, a, it's been great. We really appreciate it. everything you all do. Good deal. Yeah, we talk a lot about getting involved and staying involved. That's kind of our, our motto for, mm-hmm. for, for the state association, so we appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time today and right. joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Thank Enjoyed you. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And that will do it for this episode of the KYR Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Please, if you have any feedback or anything you want to hear us talk about, reach out to pdelrio at kyrealtors.com and let me know. We want to tailor this to what you want to listen to. We want to be relevant and we want you to stay involved. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll catch you next time.